So I was thinking about what I wanted to leave you with besides my gratitude and appreciation. And uh, what came up was to repeat something that I already shared at one of the sits, um, which is the Buddha's reflections on how his practice unfolded and the qualities that kept him going. And he said he never settled, he never got complacent. You know, he never resigned himself to suffering when he sensed that it was possible to suffer less. He never, he didn't stop with stress reduction. He uh, cultivated beautiful states of calm and joy. He didn't stop with enjoying that tranquility, the tranquility even of seclusion and concentration, when he sensed that insight was possible. And he didn't settle just for a more understanding when he sensed that freedom was possible. And so I, um, I've appreciated being in the company of women this week who have their eyes fixed on freedom, who are moving confidently in that direction. So thank you for your practice and thank you for including me this week. just sensing in to how my body feels in this moment. There's this warmth around my heart. And um, I know that's because I've, excuse me, oh, that's because I'm here with you <laughs> this past week sharing this energy together, this sacred space together. Um, and as Rachel said, this seeking for to be free. You know, the first arrow, yes, we're all going to suffer, but do we need the second arrow? You know, and always looking at that, you know, in our life, in our daily life, how that happens. Um, And I just wanted to start a little bit just um, with some gratitude. Um, I was just thinking that a Nipmuc indigenous people lived on this land. So I just wanted us to close our eyes for a moment and just give gratitude to the indigenous people that took care of this land before we got here. So if we can just... Just close our eyes and just feel our heart and give some gratitude for them, for their taking care of this land for us that we now sit on, walk on. And I wanted to also give thanks for the lineage of women, women practitioners. We spoke a lot about different women monks, uh, women that are enlightened, us being enlightened in every moment, you know, when we wake up. So we can also experience enlightenment each moment that we wake up to reality as the way it is, when we let go of the clinging and the craving and the pushing away and the delusion, that's freedom. So we can always come back to that moment. But I also wanted to just give gratitude to all the lineage of our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, our mothers that have passed away, all the ancestors that came before us that we stand on their shoulders, really, in this practice. So I just wanted, again, give gratitude to that. And um, a yogi came up and asked me for, if we also could send blessings and metta to a friend of hers that departed, Christine Webster. So amongst the ancestors, can we give a moment also to Christine Webster, a dear friend that passed away during this week, if we could close our eyes again and just... Again, send metta and blessings to the ancestors and to this Christine, this uh, spirit, Christine Webster. Thank you. And just... Again, I could go on and on, okay? <laughs> Gratitude for IMS, for these beautiful conditions that they give us, all the people behind IMS, you know, all the people that are working in the offices, in the desks, um, people we don't even see. You know, there's so much to be grateful for because they make this work. Uh, to the teachers that come and give, you know, without expecting anything in return, you know, there's so much gratitude. Just for me, that gives joy right there. 
You know, I really just, sometimes I reflect just on the basic things of having a home that has heat and clothes and joy starts to spark up just from that simplicity of life. Can we go back to that simplicity of life and find the joy in just these simple things, you know, and really feeling, resonating, feeling our heart energy, our, how does it feel in our body to resonate with that simplicity and those blessings? So I was always, you know, coming back to that simplicity. And I guess the thing that I wanted to leave you with also was that we did the Brahma Viharos. And for me, taking a metta bath every day is very important. (laughs) (laughs) Starting your day with, you know, the blessing of just that friendliness of that warmth, you know, going out into the world. Because, you know, we're constantly looking at the moods in our minds and, you know, with this beautiful practice that we have, we can always look in and see what's going on. You know, what kind of mood am I having in this moment? And just, again, just inclining the mind towards these beautiful Brahma Viharas, you know, and taking our metta baths every day really helps. You know, even starting the day after you sit with that intention of metta and friendliness and kindness and going out into the world, it makes a difference. And then you always can come back, taking the pause during the day and coming back to that center. It's so, so important. Because we get so busy doing, 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 but how are we being? You know, how are we presenting? You know, what kind of heart are we open? Are we closed? Um, are we have tension? Are we relaxed? You know, all of these little things that we could check in during the day, taking a pause during the day, taking a breath, coming back into the body. Oh, okay, I'm back. I'm back again. You know, and then the doing starts happening again, but always dropping into that being that core of being. How am I being in this moment? Because that's really where the essence of the practice is. And the last Brahma Viharas, just briefly go into it, equanimity is so important. You know, and we've been cultivating equanimity here a lot. You know, just being with these different mind states and different, you know, uh, pushing and pullings of the mind, just being steady in that you know, coming back into the breath and the body and holding that space of equanimity, not getting pulled off all the time, pushed and pulled all the time by the mind. Uh, is Equanimity is so important because joy, yes, is important. I was thinking of that. I love joy. Like I said, I touch it all the time. But there's sometimes where this stuff is rough out here, you know. <laughs> you know, the amount of injustice and cruelty and just like... Oh, my God. You know, it's like I can't find joy sometimes. And the equanimity holds me. The equanimity is what holds me through it. Because I know that there's a better way in each of us. And it's just that sense of I'm studying my practice. I come back to my heart. I come back to my center, my body, my awareness, knowing that, that we can always incline the mind and the heart towards inclusivity, you know, into... Um, into community, into sangha, into looking past our fixed views of of people, of thoughts, of, of everything. You know, we can see past all the delusions. And the equanimity is really, really important just to keep coming back to that steadiness of heart, of spirit, of body, you know, coming back again into the presence. And that practice is so powerful. You know, the more we cultivate it, and you've been doing it this week, Equanimity is so important, and it keeps all of them in balance. You know, so it keeps the metta, it keeps the karuna, keeps the mudita, everything in balance. So I just wanted to share that to continue as we walk out into this world to um, to keep on cultivating that equanimity. It's really um, such a beautiful Brahma Vihara, and it keeps them all steady, and it helps us through these difficult times we're going through. We need people out there, beside our practice that is so sacred to us, we need to be able to walk in the world with equanimity, with warmth, with kindness, because we really need that now, as we all know. So thank you so much. I've enjoyed this week so much and meeting you all and um, these wonderful teachers. And I hope we meet again on the Dhamma path. So it's said that the Buddha said, whatever a person frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination or the shape of the mind or the heart. So I want to talk about um, sila or ethics or virtue or um, the precepts. 
I really, you know, the thing I just so much love about the precepts and um, is that it's a reflection of our deepest love and our deepest caring. So when we practice the precepts like we did this week, you know, it makes the heart um, easier, more peaceful, more in harmony. It means we carry ourselves with integrity and truthfulness. Maybe in bringing our intentions right into our lives. It's powerful. It's really powerful to practice the precepts. It's a big force. You know, our intentions, we talked about that a a number of times on this retreat, they really arise from connectedness and caring, kindness. And we learn to really care about our intentional actions, how we're speaking, how we're acting in the world. So the first one, and we all know this, when we took the precepts, if you were in the evening sittings or when we first started, we talked about them. The first one is really non-harming. Non-harming, and that is the guiding principle, really. And what, what are we doing when we're doing that? We're really not, with our actions, not causing harm to ourselves or anyone else. So we have to ask ourselves that question when we're acting. Ah, will this harm myself? Ah, will this harm someone else? So non-harming has these five traditional kinds of ways which I just want to remind us as we're making our way home about them is to really refrain from killing, from um, stealing, lying, or using false or harmful speech, misuse of sexuality, and misuse of intoxicants. So each one of those is kind of a powerful practice in and of itself. You know, if everybody practiced wise speech, what would that be like? Hard to kind of imagine. But... So that's the first thing, is really this beautiful, these qualities of non-harming. But there's another part to this, which is um, really our intentions of cultivation of caring, right? There's another part. And so that would be like how we set the compass of our hearts and, and minds in a direction, really, of kindness or of openness, compassion or caring, right? So it's in addition to refraining from harm, what we're doing is cultivating more of a reverence for all of life, for every part of life. So we act really to take care of the world. You know how they have the compost here? So that's like taking care of the world. The recycle, taking care. There's a million ways, but just a little way. So we did that this week. We stand up for truth. We really stand up for the truth. We respect all of our relationships, all relationships. We're really cultivating uh, awake, being awake, a wakefulness within. So we're also practicing generosity. And I want to put a plug in for gratitude just for a moment. I think that practicing gratitude daily is um, just like Nakawa was saying, so important. And one of the things that I find really helpful is to have a gratitude buddy. So somebody that you either email or text or tell them three gratitudes every single day. And you just, it doesn't, it could be anything. It could be anything. And so you reflect upon what, what you're grateful for and you tell them and then they tell you. And it's such an incredible uplift in the heart. I do that um, with my wife every night. Well, not here, but um, and our actual favorite thing to say to start is, "I'm so grateful I'm lying down." <laughs> it's really quite a, a gift to be able to go from standing to lying down, and to really experience that, you know, and then the letting go of the day. But one thing, if you do it with somebody. And like your partner, or don't judge their gratitudes. <laughs> it's a tip. 
The third thing is kind of more when we're, you know, in the precepts, when we're just spontaneously, we just have that sense of virtue. It arises and we just, because we're experiencing that connectedness and that love so strongly. So our kindness, our compassion, our understanding, it comes from connection. It comes from that deep sense of connection. So if we live by the precepts, it's really such an act of generosity, you know, because we're really taking care of the world and ourselves and others. And the best part is it brings joy into our lives. So we're circling back to joy. It's really a lovely thing to do. So one of the things that I think is helpful is to, if you're so inclined, is to take the precepts every day. You can read them. You can take them for yourself. And, and that just sets your direction. So consider it. This is not like you have to. It's kind of like a consider. And I just want to end with um, saying, uh, doing a little poem and thanking you. This is an excerpt of a poem from Mary Oliver. I've just said something ridiculous to you, and in response, your glorious laughter... These are the days the sun is swimming back to the east and the light on the water gleams as never it seems before. I can't remember every spring. I can't remember everything. So many years. All I know is that thank you should appear somewhere. So just in case I can't find the perfect place. Thank you. Thank you. So, so much gratitude for your practice and what, I mean, I just want to comment about this morning sitting. Usually on the last morning, it can have some fidget going on. This was very silent. And you could feel the intention and the practice in the room. So the whole week has been really marvelous and very deepening. So thank you to all of you. Thank you to the teachers, Sherry, the co-teachers. Thank you to everyone. remember when the retreat began about 10 years ago now a week ago <laughs> and um, I just am really happy I'm really happy to um, to be here in this room I'm really grateful to my co-teachers I am happy about what's happening you know some of you I've been with for a long time now. And things are, there is fruit. There is movement. There is, um, there is awakening. And it's really quite beautiful and inspiring to see. When I spoke in the beginning, I remember mentioning the word poignancy. You know, poignancy, that there was a poignancy that that we spoke about an ending right away in the beginning about Christina's last year being um, on this retreat, being next year. And this sense of, um, of, of um, not taking anything for granted and, um, and living life from moment to moment. And really, who knows what is going to happen between this year and, and next year. I'm always aware on this retreat because so many of you are come back year after year, that so much could have happened in between the year. You know, so much happens um, from year to year. And so it's the same now as we spring forth and go back into our everyday lives that we don't know what is going to happen. And we've been together in a particular configuration and now we, you know, we scatter. We scatter and we offer our practice far and wide or um, close and deep or, <laughs> you know, in, in um, all the, the ways that we can be generous with our practice towards ourselves and towards others in this life. So this whole practice of, of remembering the impermanence of it all, that 
that we're here and then we're not here, and then we're we're together and then we we um, you know we separate. Um, but you know, may we see one another again and again, right? May we see one another again and again in some form or another, and to use the support of the sangha. We take refuge in the Buddha, this intrinsic peacefulness that we can touch, you know, we can touch, we can know for ourselves. We take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, the truth of the here and now, you know, not as caught or lost in our imagination having to do with past or future, but taking refuge in the here and now and wise responses of wisdom and compassion coming out of having our wits about us in the here and now. And really deeply, we take refuge in Sangha. So although we are separating, going back to Wisconsin and California and um, some of us back home an hour and a half away to Cambridge, um, there's something that happens when we come together in this way and live with each other for a week, doing the depth of work that we have been engaged in. There's something that happens that is sustaining. And so remember that, you know, remember that. I think it's so essential on this path to have Dharma friendship. And we have it here in silence. Some of us know one another, some of us don't, but there's a sense of, um, of connectedness just being in the silence together. But when you leave... Um, we can never cling, we can never grasp, we can never try to make something stay or happen, and at the same time, experiencing the nourishment that has come from one another. You know, we take refuge in Sangha, and we are refuges for one another as a Sangha as well. So just to sense that when you're, when you're home and you're on your own, and um, you're having a difficult moment, or you're thinking that you need to to sit and you can't sit and it's problematic and you get into that kind of a mental bubble, um, you know, remember us. Remember us. All of us are, are truly in this together. To um, take on the fires of life is so essential because so great to be in this protected kind of environment and then so great to leave. <laughs> It's so great to leave and to and to um to experience the um the difficulties of it all and the graces of it all and what I call the fires of life that as lay women we are so up against, we are so close to. And not to be afraid of them, but to recognize that everything we encounter is our practice. And we can bring more and more into our practice when there is a greater degree of steadiness and collectedness. You know, I go back, and many of you come with me, to the city, to Cambridge, to um, this um, urban Dharma Center, urban community Dharma Center, and it's truly a delight to practice here, you know, in this protected environment, and to practice in the middle of the city with things as they are. And the more surety we have, the more confidence we have, the more trust we have in ourselves, in our own capacity to practice, and in the power of this practice, which I have no doubt of, not just because of my own experiences, but because of your experiences as well. So to move out with a sense of surety and confidence and and self-trust and trust, as much trust as you can summon up in this path of practice. There's always this question, and it's such an honorable question, how to integrate what we've learned here into our life. And there's no answer, you know? You know, everybody wants an answer. Yep, check this off, check this off, you know? And it's not like that. It's to ask the question, over and over again. Not to nag yourself with the question, of course, but to, to ask the question, what is true integration? How can I integrate what I have learned here into my daily life? And just asking the question and listening to what might emerge as different responses, 
not one response and not two responses, but a multitude of responses according to the situations and conditions that you are facing in that moment. So what is true integration? How do you integrate what we have learned here into our lives? There's a constant sense of invitation. You know, it's always beckoning to us. We, we oftentimes refuse it and we say no and we push away. But there's a constant invitation from life. And, um, and we want to answer it. We want to answer it with wholehearted attentiveness. And of course, you know, oftentimes this invitation comes in the form of distress. And that's what we pay attention to, the first ennobling truth, which is that things are not the way we want them to be. And then can we look more deeply instead of just, you know, accepting that fact? Can we look at our reactions and and keep going, keep going? I spoke um, in the beginning, too, about going forth. We come on retreat and we are going forth from home into homelessness. And now we go forth once again. You know, it's the same thing. We go forth once again. I don't know if you remember this um, this little short kind of thing I wrote. I read about um, that I said I found when I was um, practicing in, in Auschwitz. A sacred place is one where the earth's voice can be heard clearly. Go to these places and listen. Once you have heard her, she can reach you anywhere. And okay, you know, here we are. We can hear more clearly in this environment. All of us have heard more clearly. Um, You know, this is a a wonderful and and porous and and beautiful environment. But um, now, perhaps, we can hear wherever we go. You know, because we don't want to confine ourselves to particular places. We don't want to be hothouse flowers and only okay in, in some places. We really want to be free in our lives. So to find that the sacred place is wherever you are and with whomever you are with. This is really where the invitation lies, the deep invitation of life and of practice and of the possibility of even greater inner freedom occurs. In our daily life, of course, we find that we are in this world that is getting noisier and noisier. And I don't think that's up for grabs. You know, I don't think that's just a view and an opinion. It seems to be so because of um, social media and technology and, you know, all these kinds of things. We need to get quieter. We need to get quieter. We need to move from this place of, of quietness and, and serenity and peacefulness to be able to meet the ever-increasing noise in the world. You know, we, we might feel that the world is more divisive, even more divisive than, than it has been, or the voices of divisiveness are even stronger. So we need to practice non-separation. We need to practice, you know, speaking up to injustice and unifying and bringing together and um, and practicing what we know, practicing radical kindness in all situations that we find ourselves in. You know, acceptance of things as they are does not mean cooperation with the unwholesome. It doesn't mean compliance or resignation. There's a huge difference between inwardly resisting And always we have to soften and surrender inwardly and outer resistance, which really can be the most courageous thing that we need to do. So so moving out of out of calm, moving out of of um, non-separation, moving out of kindness, and in our lives looking at what is motivating us, what's motivating an action, what's motivating our speech, what's motivating our thoughts. And this is really how we answer this question of what is true integration. This is actually a response, is another question. What is motivating this action or the ways that I'm speaking right now or my thoughts? So 
I offer you this and and um as you as you move move out of this environment and into your everyday life and I I truly wish you every happiness and every blessing and the deepest of peace. I want to um I want to just read a blessing which is by Shanti Deva. May I be a guard for those who are protectorless, a guide for those who journey on the road. For those who wish to go across the water, may I be a boat, a raft, a bridge. May I be an isle for those who yearn for landfall, and a lamp for those who long for light, for those who need a resting place, a bed, for all who need a servant, may I be that. May I be the wishing jewel, the vase of plenty, a word of power and the supreme healing. May I be the tree of miracles and for every being, the abundant cow. I had to end with a cow reference. Thank you so much for your presence and sincerity and your practice. Narayan and I are on the board of directors here and at a board meeting uh, last year we, we did this exercise where we were invited to think of writing our autobiographies and if we were to write our autobiographies, what would be the title? <laughs> and the title that I came up with for my autobiography was My Life as a Duck. <laughs> And then the story would be about one who sails serenely across the waters while paddling furiously below. (laughs) It's an interesting life, um, but it's kind of, for me, there's something so true about that, you know, that... I mean, I know some of you in this room are so-called retired. Have you noticed that life doesn't stop? Uh, you know, and I know there are those in this room who are not retired, and you know, you may be doing your own paddling. Um, but the, it's about for me, it's a lot about this coexistence. You know, of not postponing serenity, not postponing peace, not postponing equanimity until all of the conditions in our life are rightly in place. It's about how it really, how in the midst of, you know, so many of the the love, the loveliness of our lives, but also the very deep challenges that I know many of you are meeting in your lives just now, you know, how 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 to not postpone equanimity, or compassion, or kindness, until all of this is over. It doesn't get over. You might have noticed it doesn't get over. <laughs> You know, you just never know. You know, you, you you think you put so much effort into getting things in place and together, and then it just can crumble in a moment, and we know this. Whether it's through a loss or through an illness or an unwelcome change or something not cooperating with our life plan, that happens a lot. You know, things can crumble in a moment. And, you know, this is such an art in this practice of learning really to to not engage in postponement practice, to know that these are the moments that we are asked to cultivate, that which actually brings the best that we can offer to any moment in our lives. You know, as part of that generation of teachers, you know, who started to bring this practice to the West, you know, what was the first thing we did? We built retreat centers, created retreat centers. I don't regret that, you know, I think it's fantastic, but I'm also aware that we, in doing that, I think there was a kind of message delivered that this is all about practice. So many people talk to me about their practice and they don't talk to me about their path 
And I, I regret that sometimes, you know. Um, that actually, you know, the practice is so powerful, you know, can be so transforming. It's one part of the Eightfold Path, you know. And the Buddha very much spoke about living an awakened life and, you know, how what happens for us in terms of understanding and grounding on a cushion or a walking path. This is actually a support for our lives. This is then asks us to embody that. I think it's easy to forget, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, so much we hear about the sort of formal practice that the Buddha was actually an activist. And he was deeply concerned with the injustices of his time. He was deeply concerned with uh, societal change and transformation. And, you know, he always presented this path as being something so relational, you know, there's something so relational about this. It's about our relationship with ourselves. It's about our relationship with each other. It's about our relationship with the world around us, which is actually why he put integrity so centrally, because he says this is the basis for healthy relationship. Pretty sure if the Buddha was alive today, he would be teaching environmental ethics. And he, he would include this powerfully. He lived in a different time where this wasn't an issue. But we, we are, you know, we are societal beings. We are relational beings. We're touched by the world around us and we touch the world. And this, this is our path of taking care of how, how we touch the world. We bring out really the best in others, you know, through our respect and dignity and integrity. Do we touch the world with our own commitments um, to what we deeply value? And, you know, these are, I know times in the world have always been difficult, but, you know, we live in societies that can be shaped by certain values, and there's much that is lovely and good in our cultures. There is much that is creative, and so many inspiring people. Um, and it's important that we, we keep those in our frame. You know, but we also live in a society that's done a really good job of naturalizing greed. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's perfectly normal, isn't it, to orient your life around getting what you want and getting more of it. You know, that's called success. It's called success, and we need to be so careful about naturalizing hatred because it, it, that's the sort of easy route to go down, just to agree with hatred. We cannot afford hatred. Our world cannot afford hatred. We cannot afford hatred. Our societies cannot afford hatred. So, you know, this path is is one so powerfully of equanimity, but it's also one of courage. It's also one of great courage, of engagement, of actually, you know, holding that ground of what really contributes to the well-being of all beings. And that sometimes means you're not popular, it's swimming against the tide. The Buddha always talked about this as swimming against the tide. Mm-hmm. Swimming against the tide, and, and not just the tide of our own habit patterns and impulses, but swimming against the tide of norms uh, that really do not contribute to the well-being of our world. Things change so quickly. You know, they change in moments, and you, we cannot rest upon any certainties. I think life has been teaching us this from the moment we were born. We cannot rest upon certainties. You know, the rug could get pulled at any moment. You know, and that's not the right moment to start practicing. You know, to begin to think about equanimity. <laughs> yeah, the moment to begin to really think about equanimity is actually when all is well and you've actually got the space and the luxury of space to begin to cultivate some equanimity and some compassion and some kindness. So those moments come along when the rug goes away and, you know, you don't say, this shouldn't be happening. You know, you say, this is happening. And it, it's so amazing, isn't it? We're so, such weird minds sometimes, you know. It, it, you know, like, uh, let's say life has been teaching us about uncertainty from the moment of our be- birth, and we keep pretending. <laughs> oh, no, there's something to rely on. You know, sure, I just seem to work harder at getting it fixed in place, you know. Rather than saying, ah, what are the implications of this? 
Yeah, what are the implications of this? You know, it's it's the times we fall asleep often are when things are going well. It's not to say you shouldn't appreciate those times. Go for it. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, uh, they can change in moments, and and they ask for such inner steadiness. I think I told you a few years ago, leaving here. You know that. I have so many travel. You know, I, I prepare for catastrophe travel. That's what I prepare for these days, and I'm trying to do less of it. <laughs> but I remember leaving here. You know, one, a couple of years ago, arriving at my hotel, checking in at Logan. You know, again, knock on the door. You know, room service with this tray of fruit and pastries, and a lovely card saying I was a diamond, the diamond of the day. <laughs> This was obviously a random selection, you know. It, but I was the diamond of the day, you know. Go to check in my flight the next morning. Oh, we're so happy to see you. We'd like to offer you an upgrade. Yes, you know, fantastic, you know. Go to the, into the airport. Flight's cancelled. <laughs> oh, you know. What do you do with those moments? You know, what do you do with those moments? You go, no, it shouldn't be happening. Well, we might do that, but then it, you take the next step and say, it is happening. I really encourage you to cultivate specificity of intention. You know, I think sometimes we suffer suffer from overgeneralized intentions. You know, it's kind of like fine to go out into your day and say, well, I'm going to be mindful today. I, I think it's the, the landscape is so huge. You know, that it's almost like too huge to actually really think of what that means. But to have more specificity of intention, I think, in my experience, is far more nourishing. Today, commit to skillful speech. Okay, that one you can see. You know, today, commit to having no neutral people in my life. Good. You know, today, commit to being aware of beginnings and endings. You know, so to have more specificity of intention, I think, you, you don't want to go out of a retreat and think about maintaining. You want to go out of a retreat and think, how do I deepen? How do I continue deepening rather than thinking, how do I maintain some state? You're not going to do that. But how do I continue deepening? So then you look at what supports that process of continuing to deepen. Specificity of intentionality is an experiential investigation. And it's 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 creative. It's nourishing. It, it it evokes curiosity. It invokes energy. You know. Okay, this is a day. You know, skillful speech today. Wow, look at this one. So it invites focus rather than trying to force focus. And what we're looking for in the practice is what invites focus rather than trying to you know enforce attention. It doesn't work. It just gets tense. You know, so you look, okay, it, what invites attention? Is that what nourishes us? You know? And there's so many things that can nourish us, you know, and it's, it's actually really the cultivation of them. And knowing, actually, that the world of resources we can draw upon, and it's not always about just more cushion time. You know, I remember some years ago, a friend of mine was going in uh, for a mastectomy the next day, and she was a really good yogi and a really dedicated practitioner. And she said to me, I, I, I'm going to spend the day on retreat before I have the surgery. I said, I think you should go to an art gallery. <laughs> yeah, I think you should spend the day in an art gallery. You know, do that which gladdens your mind. Do that which gladdens your mind right now. So it's actually really looking at what nourishes us and different situations and, and different threads of nourishment that we can call upon. Um, this sense of investigation, the sense of curiosity, the natural world, you know, while we have it as it is, um, to, to allow that to be an inspiration. Good friends, you know, good honest friends, you know. Don't always say nice things to us, but they help us. They help us to return to what's important. Um, again, uh, like Nakawe, I, I, I think this, you know, the Brahma Bihara is a huge part of my life. The more I teach, actually, the more I talk about the Brahma Bihara's and the hindrance patterns. 
You know, because these are sort of competitors, aren't they? <laughs> they feel like competitors. They're not really competitors, but they feel like competitors. You know, oh, I just feel like going to sleep. Oh no, maybe cultivating joyfulness. You know, uh, oh, you know, I just feel so aversive. Oh, maybe cultivating friendliness. You know, oh, I'm just so afraid of suffering. Oh, maybe cultivating compassion. You know, or I just want to do the duvet dive. You know, maybe some equanimity. Really having this sense of this being, you know, so interwoven into our lives that, you know, when when they're not present, you feel an absence, you feel a vacuum. The path is large, you know. The path is huge. The path is deep. Continuing to learn, you know. For me, this is so. One of my great sources of nourishment is to feel I'm still learning. You know, and and how do I support that learning? You know, what do I do to support that learning? You know, that there's not a sort of static point. You know, where you got it. You know? um, just continuing to learn, appreciating. I will never, you know, completely learn the whole of the Buddha's teaching in this life. I know that. Got some pretty important pieces in place, but in a, in a, but they, I keep discovering things. You know that. Uh, you know, and I think, oh, wow, that are eye-opening, that are eye-opening. You know, I think, wow, you know, that's amazing. What does that look like? You know, how do I cultivate that? How do I understand this? So really, you know, and, you know, one of the great things about, um, I mean, our technological age, there's many downsides, but the availability of resources for learning are many, are really many. Caring for the shape of our mind, caring for the climate of our mind, you know, so many choices we can make in a day about uh, not just losing ourselves in, in, in sensory impression, in screens, you know, in, uh, you know, we're starting to live in a world of floating heads, I've noticed. You didn't notice, you know, walk, trying to walk down the street and someone's on their phone in front of you and their head's floating. <laughs> it's like the body's not quite there, you know. You know, they're probably, they're probably going to fall over the curbstone or, you know, they're going to be a hard person to get past because they're floating, you know. The head and body are two distinct entities, you know. That's trying to get into one unified being, you know, this is helpful. Making skillful choices. There's so much we can say and there's so much we have said, but really, you know, really, this is truly in your hands. um, I also really want to thank you for your sincerity of your practice. It's been really a wonderful week. It's ups and it's downs, but just to walk into this hall, you know, with its stillness and to see you walking outside with such grace, uh, it's so inspiring. So a deep thank you for everyone up here, for Sherry who got turned into a light manager, uh, for AON, for all of the staff, you know, we get much more at the front line of that than in many ways than you do, you know. Just really appreciating what the staff here do. Uh, it's quite phenomenal. And, uh, and a big gratitude to all of you and really wishing that you, you travel safely and that you land softly. Mm-hmm. Let's just take a moment just to, to sit, to close. And just sensing the availability of this body. Here we are. The body touching the ground. And the availability of restfulness within the body. And life. Appreciating one's own efforts, sincerity during this week. All of the bodies, hearts around us, 
appreciating the efforts and the sincerity of others that have supported us. All of those in our lives who have nourished and supported and encouraged us. That whatever benefits are born of our practice, may they contribute to the well-being, the safety of all beings. Whatever benefits are born of our practice, may they contribute to the peacefulness, the care, the kindness within all beings. All beings near and far, known and unknown, may they abide in easefulness. May they abide in peacefulness. May they abide in understanding and compassion. A lot of rumbling stomachs up here. (laughs) So we have another moment of liberation, liberation out of the silence into being together in a different way and truly be well and enjoy.